Hey, it's Matt Cross from UMass Basketball, and I've got a slam dunk insurance recommendation for you. I'm a Massachusetts native myself, and I know the importance of hometown loyalty and toughness. When I need insurance as tough as me, I choose Amherst Insurance. They've had UMass Basketball's back for decades, and they'll have yours too. Trust me. Amherst Insurance isn't just an insurance agency. They're a part of our community, deeply rooted in Massachusetts values. They understand the hustle, the spirit, and the pride that defines us here. So if you're looking for a hometown insurance agent who's got the same drive and determination as me, it's Amherst Insurance all the way. And remember, when you make that call or visit the NathanAgencies.com, tell them Matt Cross sent you. UMass fans, Josh Coney, the latest addition to the UMass basketball family. The energy here is unreal, and let's not forget UMass football season is revving up, and I'm all in. Now listen up. Moving can be a hassle, but five college movers made my transition seamless. Mention my name, Josh, and you'll not only score exclusive pricing, but tickets to a UMass basketball game of your choosing, courtesy of five college movers. So UMass fans, let's rally for football, get ready for basketball, and when it's time to move stress-free, team up with five college movers. Go UMass. UMass fans, gear up for game day and support our partners who back the collective in UMass. Make your game day complete with visits to Joe's Cafe in Northampton, JP's in Holyoke, The Spoke in Amherst, and any of the four tandem locations in Western Mass. Let's show our support. Welcome to Commonwealth Conversations Everyday Minuteman Stories, brought to you by the Massachusetts Collective. I'm your host, Nathan Strauss, and today's guest is a fixture of UMass basketball, someone who you've seen at the Mullen Center, and someone who, along with his wife, Anne-Marie, now has a massive contribution and a name attached to UMass Basketball's Legacy Hall. It is Ed Rubin, perhaps better known as Sign Man. Ed, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, let's start off with um, the, the big news yesterday. You uh, and, and your wife, Anne-Marie, announced a, a leadership-level contribution, and Legacy Hall will now be named in your honor. Uh, just first of all, thank you so much for that. How did this gift come about? Look, I'll tell you, I, I, I'd be... Um... I, I don't consider it massive, but um, it's it's significant for us. Uh, we've never done anything quite like this before. And um, uh, yeah, I'll fill you in. Um, I started, uh, you know, when, when Dave came here, I think Dave Biancomano was it might have been 2015 or so, whatever it was. In the first year, you know, he was at games. I was at the games. We didn't know each other. We saw each other and nodded, but never talked. And then uh, the following season, which might have just been, you know, not a full year, um, I stopped him one time and introduced myself and I said, maybe we should get together and talk about what I do and what uh, my vision is. And so, you know, I'm more than just this guy who goes around uh, with um, with signs. Uh, there's a little bit more in my life to that. And although some people don't think so, and that's okay. <laughs> um, so uh, we started getting together and then a little more often. So we usually have gets in touch with me and we'll, have lunch maybe about every three months or so. Um, I think the first time we had breakfast at a uh, place in a uh, uh, bagel shop in uh, Leninster that he was already familiar with, very nice place. And actually the owner of that uh, was a um, soccer player from Italy who came over and uh, had a very interesting, uh, he's in some Hall of Fames. And then I suggested we uh, start um 
uh, having lunch at a place called Filio's, an Italian restaurant in um, Acton. They have one in Groton. Actually, the owner has sold the one in Acton, but he's still running it. Uh, excellent food, very inexpensive. And we have a blast there. Um, my wife and I go there probably at least once a week. And we know all the staff. They know us. Uh, we take care of them. They take care of us. It, it's worked out very, very nicely. So um, we were there. I'm guessing it was, uh, oh, probably at least six months ago. We had had a little um, more um, uh, closer things going on uh, the previous year, last year, when uh, uh, regarding the statues. And I had an idea. I, I, I For many years, I had um, uh, wanted to see a life-size uh, statue of Jack Lehman inside Mullen Center. And I got uh, kind of tired of it not happening. And um, I um, decided to uh, make it happen on my own and then uh, present it to the university, the athletic department, and say, we're going to do this. And I did a lot of homework, and I got a referral to uh, Omri Amrani, who I consider, and most people consider, the finest sculptor of uh, sports sculpture anywhere. Um, he did uh, locally the Bob Cousy statue that went up in Worcester. Um, he did, he drove that in from uh, the Chicago area where he lives. And we had spoken, uh, we knew we looked a lot alike. And he had one day off before the, he invited us uh, as VIP guests to the, um, uh, the event. And um, so we took him out to lunch the day before and he came out of his hotel and picked him up and the two of us just looked at each other and started laughing because we, we looked like brothers. Uh, so much so that after the uh, Cousy dedication, um, when they had the reception and I was talking with Bob Cousy and maybe his daughter and someone came over to me and congratulated me for the wonderful statue I had done of Bob Cousy. And uh, I told the truth, but uh, Armory the Sculptor said I should have just gone along with it and thanked him. But um, so we talked about that. Um, Armory and I had come to an agreement on doing a Jack statue subject to the university uh, agreeing to doing it and a place to put it. And it turned out they had already started process and contracted to have the statues that they eventually put up. So to make uh, this kind of shot, uh, we discussed it at home and um, decided to uh, make a contribution in the amount of what, what Jack's statue was. So I, I technically didn't specifically, it may not show that, but I, uh, from my standpoint, we paid for the Jack statue. And, and that was great because Jack was very... Uh, the most important person probably I ever met at the university. Um, we can get into that. But uh, so Dave and I can continue the relationship. And with this particular uh, lunch, he uh, came up with the idea of doing something for um, uh, the sign man's shtick or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I have no problem calling, calling it that. And uh, I was like, wow, you know, uh, I've had uh, some good relationships with some of the administrators, some who really didn't care that much. Uh, Dave has been fantastic. And um, I think a lot of people have told me the same thing. They are everybody who has worked with him really, uh, we got the real deal here. And um, so um, 
I asked him about what we were really talking about more than just perpetuating the sign man uh, myth or legend, whatever you want to call it. And um, he threw out some numbers. Um, they went little. And I went home and discussed it with Anne Marie. And it took us about 10 seconds to say uh, the way it was structured that it, it could fit into uh, what we wanted to do. And um, so it was it was just pretty pretty easy the way the whole thing evolved. And um, we like it when we're doing something for the program. And we knows uh, how much it means to she's she's was never a huge sports fan um, like me and uh, probably never was until we met. And that was a fun story, too, because uh, we met in um, she was a freshman and I was a senior and physically bumped into each other, my right shoulder into her right shoulder. And that was um, that was it. So um, I started taking her to football games at McGurk. I think it was called Alumni Stadium back then. And it had just opened, I think, my freshman year. So this was my senior year. And I lived in Webster House, so we had uh, 14 rooms. One was an RA, so we had 27 living on the corridor. And most of the football games, I'd say at least 20 of us went together. A few brought girlfriends, not too many. I started bringing in Marie. And unknown to me, she didn't know anything about football, so she went to the old library and got a book on the rules of football. The funniest thing is she didn't know anything about football, and she got a book that was written like in the 1920s or 30s. <laughs> so she familiarized herself with things like the flying wedge and the Statue of Liberty play and things like that. And I was so impressed when I found out. I said, you actually went to the library. I said, geez, I think I got to keep her here. And um, so anyway, um, where are we? So that, uh, I mean, the whole process of this, it, it was just pretty easy to do. And it, it fit into our um, um, financial situation. So uh, we were okay with that. You mentioned um, how important Jack Lieben is to you. And I know that you managed under him when he was here. So take me through uh, okay, your relationship okay. with Jack Lieben. Okay, this is this gets pretty funny. I came to UMass, and I decided, geez, I'd like to play a sport. I didn't play any high school sports. Uh, my basketball career literally peaked when I was about 11 years old. I can tell you about that briefly if you want to know. I uh, We used to play. I, I grew up in Everett and belonged to a, a youth organization, and we used to rent not rent, they used to give us the um, indoor gym at a now non-existent elementary school, the Fairfield Whitney School, which was uh, attached to the old Everett Voke, which that whole, I think it's housing now or something. So we just had to pay enough to cover the custodial costs. So we all paid either a buck or two on whatever night, like Thursday night from six to eight, whatever it was. In this one particular game, so I was probably about four foot nine and um, um, maybe eighty five pounds. Now keep in mind, um, I'm, I'm about five five, and by my junior year in high school, I was one hundred and five pounds. And so uh, my football career um, was not uh, looking very forward. My basketball career 
I didn't realize how limitations of my 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 physical being was because I have very small, short fingers. And that explains why my dribbling was <laughs> limited. And I'd see people, you know, grab a ball and I, I, and I how did they do it? And I was actually uh, talking with Chaz Williams uh, uh, a couple of years ago in, in uh, the Champions Building. And we were laughing about it. And I explained to him that he's just a little bit bigger than me. And he can dunk the ball. And I said, there's only a few differences between you and me. And I put these up. And he called uh, Putney over. And Putney at 6'11". And they put their hands together. And Chaz is bigger than, than Putts. And we got laughing. And I said, well, another difference is you can dunk the ball. And I have a three-inch vertical leap. And they started laughing. And I, I made, made a few more comments about that. And um, so my skill set was limited to... Um, I, I'm also known for being very slow. I never had speed, but I could maybe get one quick step. So sometimes I got by somebody quickly. So anyway, we're playing this game when we we're about 11 years old. And I remember it vividly because it changed my perspective in life quite a bit. Uh, the opening tip uh, tip off uh, was, was tapped to me near midcourt. And I drove down and I laid it in off the boards and we're up to nothing. And uh, coach was just a, a parent who couldn't coach. He just did substitutions. So I said, oh, I'm going to put on a press. So uh, I, I said, I'll press uh, between uh, the top of the key and half court. And I stole the ball off a dribble, drove in and laid it in, and we're up four to nothing. I said, this is quirky. So I moved to the foul line, and I said, I'm going to do it here. Stole the ball and laid it in, and we're up six to nothing. So then I pressed on the inbounds pass, and stole the inbounds pass. And we're 30 seconds into the game. I'm four for four um, with three steals. We're up eight to nothing. And the other team hasn't even gotten to midcourt. Whistle. My coach, parent, and the coach of the other team send all the other kids to the, to, to the bench. It wasn't just cheers or whatever. And they called me out to midcourt for a private conversation. And I said, what's the problem? And they said, we have a problem here. I said, what, what is it? And they said, well, if you keep this up, we're not going to have a game today. It's going to be you. And I said, oh. And I thought very quickly. And I said, this is you know, kind of interesting because it really led me on a journey of wanting all the kids, regardless of their skills, to enjoy playing the game. And this was for all the sports I played in that winning is nice, but there are kids who don't get to play. Or when they play, they just don't play very well. And this is in different sports. So our organization, our youth organization, we had a we had a very good softball team. We had a very good two-hand tag football team. I played both ways on that. I was slow, but I read players very well, and I, I was pretty good. Softball, I was... Uh, maybe my best of both sports, and I got to uh, coach the team for for a couple of years. And what I did that evolved out of this basketball situation was, and it was probably 15, 16 at the time, and everybody showed up who wanted to play. And we had kids who um, did a Bill Buckner through the legs on every ground ball, who couldn't catch a pop-up. But they were there all the time and the looks on their faces. So before every game, I had a, a very brief team meeting 
And I said to everybody, how do you want to play today? Do you want to play to win? Or do you want to play so everybody gets to play? And they knew that meant if it was a six-inning game, the first three innings of status, the the fourth, fifth, and sixth. I kept myself in the game to control it, but um, most of the time. So these kids, we, we'd be ahead after three innings, you know, in games like eight to two, and then we'd lose 22 to eight because of the change. But the looks on the faces of these kids, and I hope some of them are still out there, the ones who are still around with us, thinking back, some of them can think back and say, hey, um, they called me Eddie, not Ed back then, you know, I, that they remember what Eddie Rubin did for them by bringing them in the games. And when they made a bad error or anything, we just clapped and said, come on, you know, do the best you can. And if you strike out, you got to play. And they got to go home and tell their dads um, that they played in the game. And I never forgot that. So uh, let's move this to Jacqueline. I um I also uh, I wanted to try to try out for the um, high school football team. Uh, I played uh, I played I didn't play. I went to Everett High School. We had some of the top um, high school teams on the East Coast. Uh, there was a lull in the in the past like twenty years. They've had some great teams too, uh, but we had some outstanding players. Uh, Pat Hughes was a high school classmate of mine, and he uh, played in the NFL including uh, for 10 years, eight with the Giants, a linebacker. Uh, we had some other very good um, uh, athletes. And so between the beginning of my junior year, uh, we were in the transition of two, two excellent quarterbacks. And they were going to make a um, fullback built like a shot tank, the quarterback, and he couldn't throw the ball. So I'm on the way out of my house, and my mother says to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Everett Stadium. What for? to try out for the football team. She said, are you out of your mind? You know, five, five, and I weigh 105 pounds. And I was trying to explain to her that the offensive line average is about 235, which in those days was bigger than Boston College. And these guys were going to protect me. Pat Hughes, the future NFL, was the center. And she says, over my dead body. Well, an uncle of mine in the 1920s was a great athlete. And uh, there's probably still some stories about him. Uh, his name was Al Alfred Al Gross. And uh, he became famous in his day for the, uh, the, the Needham-Wellesley games, which I think are the oldest high school rivalry in the country. And I guess he used to come home with a lot of battered body parts in those days. So she didn't want me to come home that way. So that never happened. And so when I got out to UMass, I decided it'd be really nice to play a sport. And I was told that you can show up as like a walk-on for any outdoor team. They had freshman teams then, and you wouldn't get cut. It didn't mean you play; you, you would play. So I'm, I lived in Webster House. I'm walking down the corridor, and someone says to me, where are you going? I said, I'm trying out for football. They said, are you out of your mind? So a group of kids um, on my floor took me aside, and they locked me in a room. They had uh, Several of them had played high school football, and they said, we played ball. Some of us were linemen on good teams. We don't want to get killed. Just, we're not letting you out of here until you promise you won't go down there. So I promised. So I decided I'd show up for the uh, as a walk-on for the freshman soccer team. Now, we didn't have a high school soccer team in Everett. There were some uh, church teams. Um, I'm a synagogue guy, got a church team. So 
in Everett, if I had told, I, I was actually invited by a friend to uh, 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 come in, in and work out with the St. Anthony's uh, uh, soccer team from the, his church. And I thought about it and almost did. Uh, it was a fellow named Felix Fabrizio and was a friend. And uh, I and I didn't do it because uh, my mother would have, like, had a bird because they couldn't have figured out, like, why am I, you know, involving with, with, with the, uh, the, the the church and, and and it was the other way around too. There's some great stories between, uh, like, uh, that I think it was my 45th or 50th high school reunion, and I was in was with me, and I'm talking to Everett was a very um, Italian and um, an Irish community back then, and I'm talking to a couple of um, the now um, older high school friends, the girls, and I was talking to one. And I said, "You know, back then I thought you were really cute," and I. And I kind of wanted to ask you out. I said, but you know what my mother would have said if I told her that um, I I was going to go out with Maria Bordenaro? And she said the same thing my father would have said if I said if we're going to go out with Eddie Rubin. <laughs> it was beautiful. So anyway, so this stuff didn't happen. But um, with Jack, um, Jack just happened to be the freshman men's soccer coach. He was the first person I met in the athletic department. He was also, I believe, Johnny O was the coach of the varsity. And I I think that the um that Jack and um um and, and Peter um his uh assistant coach um I think they also assisted with the varsity as well. So um I I show up as a would-be soccer player. And like we could play, I didn't, you know, I didn't even know how big the field was or what the rules were. So he sends me up to the cage, to um, the equipment area with Tommy Bishko and um, tells me to get a pair of cleats and a pair of socks. So I asked for a size eight, my size. They didn't have any left. So I said, well, can you give me a, a size eight and a half and an extra pair of socks? They didn't have an eight and a half. I didn't have any money to buy a, a pair of cleats. So they gave me a nine. So I'm wearing a size nine on a size eight foot. Well, if you've ever played soccer with cleats, you can imagine what would happen if the ball were fed to you like five feet, five feet or five yards out in front of the goal, and you're all alone and you try to lift your foot out up out of the out of the dirt and the grass to kick it. Now the cleat's gonna stay in that buried. So every time that happens, I'm all alone in the practice, and I fall flat in my face. And it was a little embarrassing, but I looked over at Jack, and, you know, Jack was looking at me like, "What's maybe I'm thinking, what's this kid doing out here? But that's not the way he treated me. And I've told people over the years, and I'm very fortunate and happy that I sat down with Jack. Jack and I stayed in touch, and I saw him a lot. I sat down with him a couple of years before he passed on, and I told him a lot of these stories and what it meant to me. And I said, what I always appreciated was that I was pretty bad, but you treated me like I was a greater Boston League All-Star. And I, you never said boo. And if you talk to anyone else, like, because um, I got involved with the basketball program, my, my teammates from that era, they'll all tell you the same thing. This is not unique. Everybody feels the same way about how Jack treated them. 
So I was walking across campus and it was in front of, I think, uh, what is it? The old ROTC building. And I ran into um, a friend of mine who's a year older, a friend from Cambridge uh, named uh, Dave Andelman. And I didn't know that Dave was, as a sophomore, a team manager um, for the varsity. And he stopped me. And Dave and I had actually played ball together on a team from the same organization that I belonged to. It was a regional team. And we actually played, played a bunch of games at the old Boston Garden on the parquet, which is another amazing story. But um, quite a few games there. So Dave said, Eddie, um, you know Jack, don't you? And I said, yeah. He says, he needs, a, he needs a team manager for the freshman team. And I said, oh, this is good. I can, I can go turn the cleats in and change. And this sounds really good. So told Jack, and I became a team manager for the freshman team, and then just stayed with him throughout the four years. And, it, I mean, it was it was really good. Jack used to bring uh, uh, Rita and his uh, daughter, Laurie, to the games, and she was, like, really little. So we were, you know, taking care of the balls, the towels, and, and Laurie during practices. And it, 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 it was a special time in thinking back to it. There was some the cage was just an amazing place, you know, in, in terms of like the glass uh, panels on the uh, on the roof. They had uh, some of them had little uh, cracks in them, in leaks, and water would leak if the, if it had rained or the snow had accumulated and was melting right onto the court. There was there's some great stories. Uh, I may get into one story about shining, polishing the basketball because that, that 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 that's a beauty. But um, so that that's where it started with Jack. And then um, when I left, just just to show you, uh, I'll give people an idea what this really meant. When I left UMass, I went to uh, grad school to get my MBA in finance at the University of Florida. And they had a quarterly system. So um, you really were doing a full semester's worth of work in a, an abbreviated quarter. And I um, pretty much did about two years worth of work in Fort Waters and did, did very well with it. So when I came back and I had about, uh, I, I think I had about the, uh, I think a one-way airfare was about 60 bucks back then from to, down, to, uh, down to Florida. And I, I flew my um, better half down and um, we drove back and it was, not an easy drive back. The car was totally filled with anything and everything I owned. Uh, we had some rough weather and uh, we were exhausted. And we finally get back to Massachusetts and uh, she was from Westfield. And we were going to stop in Everett. We were going to stop in Westfield. No, I said, I know where we're going to go first. And we drove to Boyden and we went to Jack Lehman's office. That was the first place we went. And Jack had us sit down, and he got out real the big um, reels of um, of film, and we watched the game, uh, the famous game when UMass played uh, Marquette in the NIT with uh, Dr. J, and they followed them out. So Jack ran that on the uh, projector. We watched the game, and he gave us a complete uh, 
you know, rundown on that. And, uh, and you know, we talked about that too in that conversation a, a couple of years before he passed away about how he did it. I think that film probably disintegrated and does not exist anymore, unfortunately. There's probably no other film of it. But um, I think that's enough to just... Um, talk about that jack in 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 the later years too um and this was kind of special too i was um really i had heard they might name the court for jack and i thought that was like a no-brainer and they were going very slow you know state schools things take time everybody's got to uh this one's got to approve it that one's got to approve it and all this stuff so it wasn't happening fast enough and i used to complain all the time we got to get this done so make sure that Jack sees it happen, which unfortunately didn't. I, I still kind of regret that. But in, in Rita knows that. We've talked about that. So um, the um, I was I've worked in my insurance business since about 1984. Self-employed at home. I can't work corporate. I can't work with anybody else because I've got. No one would want to work with me. I just got my all my 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 ideas and everything. I have lofty goals. Peter, just um, here, there, and everywhere. I like to do things right all the time, if possible. And uh, so I've had a home office actually since uh, that I've worked out of that way since the mid nineteen eighties. And so I had my uh, I had my separate landline, and about once a month the phone would ring. And I could see the, the caller ID that it was coming from UMass. And, and um, as soon as you hear Jack's voice, you know, you're talking, you were talking to Jack Lehman. So, and he, he always started calling me back in the days, Fast Eddie, because the movie The Hustler was out with Paul Newman and he was, fat, he was Fast Eddie. So he just took the name. Some of the guys still call me that. So I pick up the phone and go, uh, whatever it was, like Ed Rubin, uh, uh, hello. And, uh, and, and Jack's voice would go, fast, Eddie. You know, I can't, I can't do his voice. And he'd go, this is Jack Lehman. And by then I would say, well, who the hell do you think I thought it was? <laughs> you know, like you had to really identify yourself. So I think he had heard that they were talking about maybe naming the court and that he was really wanted to see it happen, but he would, he was too humble a person to ever say that he never once said a word of it, but he knew I was very active as an alum. And I had been on the, uh, I got elected a couple of times to the alumni board and I was out there a lot. So he'd asked me this question, anything new? Have you heard anything new <laughs> with no subject matter? And it was just, I felt that that's what he was you know, thinking about. And I, and I always had to say no. And, uh, but it eventually happened. It's deservedly so. And if uh, there's, uh, you know, if there's a basketball court up there in the sky, Jack knows it's there. So uh, I just have you know, nothing but positives to say. Uh, when I first met him, you know, he came across, he, he looked like a Marine. He was tough. You'd have soccer practice. And you didn't just go off the field and go in to take a shower. You ran around the field three times before you could go. And it was painful to do that. So um, I can give you one more Jack Lehman story. Though. Uh, our budget, like for travel and things, was very small. 
So if we had a road game, in those days, most of them were just a bus trip in New England, then it, more than one team manager could go. Our stipend for spending money was uh, $5 per game. So if you had to, it was $60 for like for 12 of us. So um, finally, by my, my senior year, I was like the senior manager. And I got to go on a real road trip to um, a Christmas tournament we had in Evansville, Indiana. We actually went out there um, in December. We had a blizzard the night before. Those of us who had cars, we parked them in the cage on the dirt floor because they took up the court and left them there. We, uh, Jimmy Lugnane, Wiggy, um, was the trainer and he had played ball at UMass. So he was like the acting, um, let's say, operations manager. We didn't have anything like that. So he had arranged the flights and all that. And we were going to go to Bradley to get the flight. And um, I think he found out at 11 o'clock at night, because, uh, the night before our flight, we, uh, that the flight had been canceled due to the blizzard. And nobody had ever you know, contacted the team. So it was a complicated thing to, to go in there and get out. And then... Um, so um, I'll, I'll get I'll get to the Jack Lehman on this, but the, some of this stuff is really good. We had a, a changeover. I think it was in Cincinnati because he had we had a reroute from uh, Bradley, I think, to Cincinnati, and then get a flight out to Evansville. And we get to the flight, and it was an Ozark Airlines turboprop. Now, in general, I think they were a pretty good airline. But to us, the Ozark Mountains, what the hell are we getting? Well, by coincidence, unfortunately, an, an Ozark Airlines turboprop, exactly like that, had gone down about a week or two before. And we're on the tarmac, you just walking up the stairs. And Ray Ellerbrook looks at this, looks up, and this is the, the stewardesses had their, you know, fancier uniforms than today. And Ray says, he knew about the other plane going, he says, I'm not getting on that plane. <laughs> and they looked out at Ray and went, shut up and get up on the plane. So we, we did fly out okay. And we and we obviously got back okay. So we get out there and we stayed at a Ramada Inn. We had, we had dinner that night. And I'll never forget it because... We had filet mignon. And in those days, I don't eat much beef these days, very little. In those days, I love my steak. And steaks, in, I didn't know that steaks in the Midwest were steaks like we never get here. We just go to the hotel in the Ramada Inn and we get these filet mignon. Like, what the hell? This was good. <laughs> so we ended up practicing the night before um, the first game in a high school gym. And it was a, it was a nice gym. And the practice, um, Jack, Jack decided, he, he told everybody to go in uh, to take a shower. And I didn't need to go in and take a shower because I, I wasn't practicing. Although I did practice sometimes with the team when they only had nine guys and they needed number 10. But in the gym, over near the folded up, uh, the bleachers that recessed back up, there was a Coke machine. 
And th this is as good as the mean Joe Green Coke ad, the famous one where he tosses the, the uh, T-shirt. Jack looks at the machine, points to it, and he says, and he says to me, 10 free throws for a Coke. Tosses me the basketball. It was a very good free throw shooter. Probably shoot 80%. So I step up to the line. But I was very sensitive to other people, especially people who um, were more of a, um, at a higher level of authority than I was. I never wanted to show anyone up. So I make my first, my second. I make the first seven. And I take a pause and I look at Jack. And I say, I don't want to make him look bad. So I intentionally rimmed eight, nine, and ten. I said, well, seven out of ten. Let's see if he can make eight. Toss the ball to Jack. He's supposed to take ten, right? He makes the first seven, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth, and he keeps going. He makes 15 straight, looks at me, tosses me the ball, and points to the Coke machine. <laughs> the Coke was probably a nickel, but it was a great that, – that was Jack. And I uh, love the man. You know, it's just uh, – um, we've had other, you know, great people in the program and all uh, great coaches in, in different sports. But uh, I think other people will agree who knew Jack. Um, Jack is uh, the epitome of what everything should be forever at the university. People, I think, know you nowadays, amongst other things, and you've talked about kind of the myth that comes along with this, but for your signs that you, you know, carry to the Mullen Center and showcase during games. Two questions for you. What is your favorite of the, I think, almost 500 signs, and why did this start? And you can answer those in whatever order you want. Oh, sure, sure. The... Um, um... It started in uh, February, uh, some, I forget the exact date. I, I should have brought the sign up, but I have the original sign. I was, uh, we, were, we had Florida State coming in, uh, in uh, February of 94, and they had Charlie Ward. Charlie Ward had won the Heisman Trophy in football, quarterback, and he was a guard on the basketball team, a very good player. We have the game coming in, and I um, open up uh drawer in, in the desk. I, I don't have the desk anymore that I kept pens and little notepads in. And there was a picture I cut out of a magazine probably 10 years prior of Jerry Mathers as um, Eva Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver when he was a little kid. He was wearing a baseball cap. And like, yeah, he didn't have long hair like mine. And um, I had the picture. And in those days, I didn't have the graphics. I didn't have the quality paper for the... Uh, professional type of paper. I know my signs now look like they're professionally done, and I can just do that at home uh, pretty easily. Uh, but most, but back then, didn't have anything. If I wanted to get pictures, I had to go to the library, look things up in the book, make crude photograph uh, copies, take them to Staples to get them blown up and things. So I look at the picture and I said, hmm, leave it to Beaver. His father was Ward Cleaver. And I'm going, I know what I'm going to do. So I went out and got a piece of um, flexible, uh, they called it poster paper. And I took the picture of um, Beaver Cleaver to, to a staples. They blew it up to like life head size. 
It wasn't very good quality. I cut it out and I, um, I think I used glue sticks, terrible stuff to use. I use a professional adhesive now. And um, so I put it on, on the poster and I put, oh, what did I write on the poster? I, and I just, with, with a um, with a marker, um, like a Sharpie today, like a, a wide one, I wrote, um, it was either my father is water, water is my father, one of those. And so I'm going to take this and um, I'm going to walk around the floor because Mullen Center, you can do that. There's room to do it. You can't do that in every room. And I said, if, I'm, if I behave myself, which I, you know, polite with people let's see if they tell me i can't do it i can't do it so i'm walking around and in those days the place was packed and a lot of times the other team had a fair amount of fans with them and i'd say there were at least 40 maybe 50 fans who had come from florida state so i'm carrying the sign with a picture of beaver cleaver that not everybody knows and it's basically saying what is my father it was just a, a just a goofy thing. You know, I thought it was funny. And not everybody's going to understand it, but some people will. So I get and walk behind the Florida State bench, and that's where their fans were. And there's a young man sitting maybe three rows in, four rows in. I'd say he was 14 or 15 years old. In retrospect, I'm guessing he was either Charlie Ward's younger brother or Charlie Ward's nephew. He's reading the sign. He doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about. He thinks I'm trying to say that Charlie Ward is my father. I see him stand up, come out of the stands, and he comes up to me. He looks at the sign, and he takes his index finger, like really stiff, and he starts poking me right in my right in the chest about three or four times. And he says, you wish it. And I'm thinking to myself, this is really cool. This is just immediately gone beyond what I could ever imagine. And I went back to my seat, which in those days would have been in section H, about 18 or 20 rows up. And I'm walking up, and I had friends up there, and I'm kind of laughing. And I get up to them, and it's like, what's so funny? And I said, well, something just happened. I said, I'll talk to you about it later, with, like at halftime or whatever. I said, but I think I might have something here. And that's how it evolved from the very beginning. And, and now you're you're such a known quantity. I, I can I think the first one that I ever saw of yours, I'm trying to think back to this. It might have been it might have been Great Balls of Fire. And oh, it might yeah. have had a it might have had a was it, it might have been TJ Weeks. Uh, the the TJ Weeks one, and and then of course the um original Aliens one, I think is is one that sticks out to me. But do you have like a personal? Because obviously there's a lot of creativity yeah. and kind of yeah. cultural knowledge. I, I I have I have some right here. Actually, what you're talking about with the uh, I'll get it right here. I think I have it. It's kind of cool. The ancient aliens, if we can see that one later. You see that? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's to put it in perspective. It's, it's sort of um, for people who will listen to this, it's alien heads think kind of Area Fifty One, 
but with a basketball as the kind of they're, they're like know, they're like top. basketball alien heads, and it just says ancient aliens on it, you know, goof on that series on the History Channel. And uh, but in terms of a favorite sign, and there's a lot of but and I haven't talked totally with Dave yet. I talked with some people years ago, but it never happened. This is something I would never ever let go unless we were going to somehow put it up properly framed so it wouldn't get damaged, which means it would have to go in a maroon frame with um, UV um, glass and set up so the, the front of it does not go up against the glass if you've got any moisture or whatever. This is um, this is my sign. Can, I, I it's not showing up on mine. It's a little it's a little blurry. Are you able to on the bottom if you click there's there should be a thing where it says like background. If okay. you uh I'm looking here, it says participants chat, share screen, record, show captions, reactions, apps, and whiteboards. I don't know. Um it's I think it might be oops. If you click on um where it says video or maybe stop video, if you click on that little arrow and then you, it, it, I think it might next, hit, next you might stop video. Okay, I'll click yeah, on the it, arrow and it's yeah, okay. It, does okay. it say blur my background there? Yeah, I'll, okay, okay, maybe yeah, that. There we go. Perfect. There we go. You're good. Well, I, you know, I dabble in IT from time to time. Not really. Well, well see, I don't, I don't, I don't, because in, in was a, was a, a Stella I, um, tech pro for 40 years. Both our daughters are in tech. One of them um, um, went, actually went to Savannah College of Art and Design, and then she went to um, the Human Computer Interaction Usability Program at Carnegie Mellon, which is the finest program in the country. They live in about 18 a year, and she was the first person they ever brought in out of a um, um, design school to see how she would do. And while she was there, uh, NASA Ames out in uh, California had a uh, software project and they wanted to uh, bring in somebody from that program uh, to go up there and be their like project leader and they picked her in that way. So I have people like this, plus both of their husbands, they're in tech. So I get five people that can be my help button. So I, I'm very good at certain things but I just never got into this. I had a chance to. I had a prof in grad school who wanted me to go out to Iowa, Iowa State, one of the, uh, those two uh, in the early stages of computer programs called quantitative analysis to get a PhD, and I just had enough school. But I didn't do that. Anyway, is that better? Yeah, perfect. Okay. Well, so what great, I did, and it's signed? Oh, it has uh, 50 or 60 at least signatures. So we have Jack the basketball, Jack for his coaching soccer, and Jack also coached golf, um, Stockbridge, and uh, I called him a man for all seasons. And this is one of my favorites because it's been signed by an awful lot of former players who played for him. Um, I think at least a couple of uh, then current governors of Massachusetts and some other people who um, I felt it was appropriate and okay. But uh, yeah, we we have um, you know uh, Dr. J and. Um, uh, Calipari signed it. Uh, Billy Tyndall, who became Isama Dean, great, great player. Uh, yeah, here's uh, Deval Patrick. 
when he was governor. So, but a, a lot of the guys from uh, from my days, uh, uh, some of a lot of you listening, Tom, Tom Laughlin signed it. Uh, Wally Novak, a great um, uh, ticket guy, and then the other guys who played back then, uh, Dick Samuelson, uh, Mark Donahue. Um, I'm looking at Perkins and Frank Stewart and Billy Greeley. Um, Charlie Peters is here. Charlie Peters played with um, Dr. J, and he was the ac- academic who um, apparently he, he's younger than me, but he, I'm told, was, when they were on the buses traveling, he always had his head buried in his accounting book, and Charlie became a, a CFO um, uh, for many companies, mostly in the um, uh, public sector, like for Boston Edison. But he finished his career. He decided he wanted to be a CFO of a privately held company. So he was the CFO of Red Hat Inc. and the um, open source Linux software uh, down in uh, North, in Raleigh. At the same time, Ian Marie was working uh, here in Westwood, Mass. Uh, for Red Hat in management. So um, she wasn't at his level, but, uh, you know, some, sometimes the word gets legend thrown around. And I got to throw in a word for, for my wife and her talent because uh, she, th- there was an opening for a position in the latter couple of years. She had, she had worked for um, previously for Cisco Systems. And quite honestly, there were um, issues with the way Women didn't get promotions and stuff like that. They even got into the press. And so um, she um, took a um, um, an early retirement package, which was done in the great style of me because we, um, from a financial standpoint, we were trying to decide if she should take it or not. And we decided she was going to stay there. And then about 6 o'clock on the final night when you had to have the package postmarked by midnight, she got a, uh, an, a, a, a email from one of her friends that the friend had taken it. So I said, what do you think? In about 10 o'clock at night, we decided, go for it and take the package. So we drove into Boston to the South Postal Annex um, down in the South, behind South Station and got it postmarked at like five minutes to midnight. <laughs> and it turned out about within the next four, five, six months, she went to uh, to Red Hat. And um, so, uh, yeah, she finished up being a uh, program manager for the conversion of the uh, Red Hat um, Linux software to IBM hardware. And uh, nobody knew until it, it, it was a big shock that IBM ended up buying out Red Hat for some ridiculous amount of billions of dollars. And there were some people there who... Um, said she did, um, the work she did was very instrumental in it happening. Although, as I remind people, yeah, but she didn't get a paycheck that uh, resembled that. But um, we had, um, at one point in time, Ian Marie uh, gave our um, younger daughter's uh, now husband, who's, he's an athlete too. He was a um, uh, long distance runner and he did that in college. He he passed up D1 and uh, they went to a D3 school to help the program, him and his uh, twin brother. And um, so um, he was looking for a new job one time. So Henry gave him a referral to talk to somebody at Red Hat and he did by phone and he called Henry and he said, boy, you must've been really good. And she said, why? He said, 
they told me that you're a legend there. <laughs> and, and she she'd kill me for even saying this right now. That killed me. But uh, she said, why do you have to do that? <laughs> but you know, she was very, very good. And when this position when this position became open, she had already done some contracting work with IBM, so they knew her. And it was going to be an internal hire. And HR can't let know who's looking for the job. But apparently a lot of people wanted the job. And I said to her, let's get real. Do you want the job? She says, yeah, it would be nice. I said, just put your name in and the job will be yours because IBM knows you. They know the work you do. And she no, and no nobody objected to it, of course, but she uh, it, it, it worked out pretty well. And then um, she retired. Um, she, she retired when she was 70. So she retired like uh, three, almost four years ago now. And she was afraid she was going to uh, not know what to do with her time. But then in about four months, she said, oh, this is good. You know, like, I can work out and do that. She, she's a uh, physical fitness nut. She works out every day. And um, everything from step aerobics to uh, she does kickboxing. And uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, um, obviously, I can, I can see right now that you have some of those signs in there. But is there, yeah. you know, do you have basically an archive of all of your own work from the last three decades now? I don't have everything. Uh, be, a lot of fines I gave to um, the families. Uh, I got into this thing too that was kind of interesting because uh, somewhere along the way I said, you know, they had the uh, basketball banquets and they had football banquets because I started doing football fines when uh, Rene Angolia was playing running back and he had had some great games. And I um, whatever year that was, it was probably four, maybe four years after I started the uh, the basketball. And I put yeah, he to- was. Uh, I want to say he was like ninety six to ninety nine. Yeah, I, was- I talked him. La- I talked him last year. I feel yeah. like I should have. Uh, yeah. I, sh- I should know this. Yeah, sorry, ni- ninety four through ninety seven. Yeah, and I remember the sign. I think I don't know who I gave. I probably gave it to him or his family, and it simply said had his picture, had some football logos. And I always put a UMass logo on it because I was always into if anyone, if this gets on television, if it gets in any kind of media, it's not about the sign, it's about promoting the university. And that, that, that worked. And I know that worked. And the sign simply said, run, Rennie, run. And there were little kids squawking around the stadium. Run, Rennie, run. Because <laughs> it was... It was just, you know, it was very basic, and uh, and, it, and it was pretty cool. But um, this one, the one with Jack, like I said, uh, I'll talk with Dave if they want to do, if they have room in that um, Legends area and they want to uh, put it up, and we can get it done so it won't deteriorate. That that that's the key. We had a we had somebody a fan some years ago who I think did some framing and I and I think we were talking about that and, and that you have to leave an airspace between the front of the sign in the uh, in whatever glass because if you get any moisture it's just going to destroy it and keep the sun away from it. But I, I I'm sure we can get that done for some reasonable amount or hell maybe some one of our wonderful fans who. Uh, um, does some framing professionally might want to step forward uh, that would be nice too so I, I, I think I would let that go because um, I won't be here forever uh, but if we can have this 
there forever. I think that would be pretty cool. Well, um, I I look forward to you know at some someday having kids and taking them into the uh, the Ed and, and Anne Marie Rubin uh, Legacy Hall so they can see and learn some of this history too. We've asked everyone who hops on these to name kind of the one player who they would trust or they would choose to take a potential game winning shot. Do you have a name that springs to mind if you were you know the coach of the all time UMass basketball team? Who would you draw up that play for? Well, if we, I, I talk about maybe someone from when when I was with the team, but everybody who I've seen, um, I think I'd have to uh, just look at um, Mike Williams would be a, a no brainer. Although there were, you know, there were times uh, certainly Monty Mack, um, Ricky Harris, and um, even. Um, Shannon Crooks, uh, I'll tell you Shannon Crooks story. That's pretty amazing too in a minute. But going back, um, uh, we had some you know really good players. Uh, we had uh, uh, on those teams in my class. See, I'm trying to remember everybody. We had um, Joey DeSassina, uh, his high school classmate from um, Somerville, who I got to see play twice a year. Um, who no, you would not want him to be the last show. It was Peter Gayeska, who but Peter was a, about a six foot eight or nine, um, slow, uh, pardon me, white center. Um, and I had seen him play in high school. And but I'll tell you, I don't know if I can remember anybody who has ever played in the program since I've been associated with this in '65, who worked his butt off harder to become a better player. And he, and he and he made himself a really a really good player. I mean, I, I talked to Peter some years ago when Jack was alive. Uh, we were talking about um, someone asked whatever happened to Peter, and I said I'll find him. I'm, I'm very well known for finding people online. That that's that's a skill of mine online research, not not the software stuff. So I said I'll find him, and I asked Jack, "Have you ever had any contact with Peter?" And he said, "No," but somebody said they were. Um, in Colorado, this was like five years prior to when I talked to Jack, and they said they ran into Peter riding the six foot, all six, ten foot, ten of them riding a motorcycle through Colorado. So I said, Peter Gayeska. So I looked up online just Peter Gayeska to see who was listed in like phone directories and stuff. There was one in the United States. It was pretty easy. So I found him out in Oregon. He was working in Portland, working for the water department out there. Um, we talked. He had no interest in coming back for anything. And that was his choice. But uh, we had a nice chat. And I think I gave his name to a couple of the other guys to call and talk to him, which was good. Uh, but uh, in terms of a um, a deadly shooter, and he would really appreciate it when he sees this. And um, so... To my teammates, as we call each other from back then, figure out, of course, you know, Billy Tyndall, good. But no, I would probably go with Johnny Lysak. And I've talked to Johnny because he, um, John, very good athlete um, at UMass, got on the basketball team, track and tennis. I know he was still playing uh, seniors doubles tennis with his son, not too many years ago and was still like, uh, I think, I don't know how many years ago it was, but they were still ranked like in the top 10 in the country or something like that doing that. Uh, very nice person. 
and I'll I'll just mention to you, we were playing Providence at Providence in an old gym. You know, and these gyms, uh, you know, really like I wouldn't say like a dungeon, but they weren't they weren't the greatest places, and they had a uh, an all American Jimmy Walker, and he played in the pros. I wouldn't say that um, when he talked, he was the brightest light in the room, um, but that was okay. You know, he his, he had his career. But um, we come out of the locker room, and members of the press were talking to Jimmy. Now, in those days, that meant like maybe two members of the press were there. And I walked by, and the guys from our team are walking by, and they asked Jimmy what he thought about the game tonight. And he had kind of a, he spoke like, a, and, and he goes, no problem. No way these guys are going to want to, you know, with us and blah, blah, blah. And we weren't too happy. The game starts. It's too bad we didn't have three-point shots in those days. Johnny Lysak missed his first two shots at the beginning of the game. Hits his first with maybe th three, four minutes into the game, probably three-point distance. Between that point and one minute left in the game, he took 14 outside shots and made 14 outside shots. And I mean, we, it kept us in the game close. We, we, I think we lost by about five or six points. And I mean, even the Providence fans were cheering because it, it was so amazing. And Jack and I talked about this, too, in that last conversation. And he says, do you remember what happened? And I said, well, tell me in your words. He said, John missed a shot finally in the last minute of the game, and they gave him a standing ovation. <laughs> and we're not sure whether it was for making 14 straight and then finally missing, or thank God you finally missed one again. <laughs> It, it, I've really never quite seen anything quite like that. I mean, there's been guys like uh, Bill Walton who had his 21 for 22 in a Final Four game and things, but those were mostly you know closer type of things. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was it was pretty amazing. So he probably could have, uh, you know, would would have been someone I would have wanted to get, to get the ball to back then. But this those are some excellent answers. I will say, Mike Williams has absolutely been the modal answer so far uh yeah, if, you saw, if, you saw him, if you saw him play you know and unfortunately mike has passed on uh, uh at a way too young an age and uh but he was you know he just wanted the ball and, and some of them uh, there was one and um although the games i he must have played in that west virginia game where they were down by something like uh 16 or 18 points with four, with uh, four and a half minutes left, and they came back and, and tied it and won it. Oh, oh, maybe it was the the Oklahoma game where I think they were down by one and time was running out, and he drove in, came, went under the basket and threw it back up over his head, and the ball came down on the rim and bounced up in the air and they went in the basket to win the game. But the Temple game, where I think it was the first time we beat Temple, and he hit a three, maybe an overtime or something, and uh, – 
it was it was something like that but he yeah he was just um um he was the go-to guy and uh, it was amazing but uh well, while I'm still talking about these guys, look, let, let me mention the, the Shannon Crook story is pretty good. Shannon Crook's very good guy from my hometown of Everett, played at Everett High School. And um, I was, um, you know, the, the signs and me were, were pretty active then. And I talked to a lot of the parents and things like that at that time. And um, talked to, I had talked with um, Shannon about uh, where he lived. And he told me he lived on South Ferry Street. Ferry Street is a major street that goes through Everett all the way um, from close to Chelsea to, to Malden, the long curving street. And there's a very small section of it that goes out to um, Route 16, the Ruby Beach Parkway. Um, and that's called South Ferry Street. So I'd never known anyone who lived on South Ferry Street before, but Shannon said they had lived on, on South Ferry Street. So um, subsequent to that, they um, we had a, we played the first college game at um, uh, Mohegan Sun Casino. They had played a Celtics exhibition game there, and I remember going to the game because I brought my portfolio with my signs and explained who I was, and they had to call security to see. But the, the head of security came and we had a nice talk and I explained I wasn't going to do anything ridiculous and there was nothing dangerous. They could look through the whole thing and they let me bring the signs in. So I'm watching the game and then I found out that um, Shannon's um, uh, mother was there. They had moved to Brockton and we we sat and chit-chatted about Everett. And I uh, I said, you know, he told me that you lived on, on South Ferry Street. And um, and she mentioned that they had also lived on Evelyn Road, which is not a big street in Everett. It's it's actually uh, about uh, probably about 150 yards from Chelsea High School, where that is now in the old Chelsea Stadium. And I said, well, when I was born in 1947 through 1951, we lived on Evelyn Road. And she instantaneously says to me, did you live in the Westerman's house? The Westermans were a wonderful family who owned a hardware store that wasn't that far. It was on Ferry Street, actually pretty close to South Ferry Street. And I looked at her and I said, how the hell did you know where I lived when I was born? We lived in the same, it was a two-family house. We lived in the same house like 45 years apart. And I'm saying to myself, this is really out there. This is, this is like ancient alien stuff. And uh, so it, it's some of the things that have happened. There's so, so many stories, you know, we, we can go on a little bit. The, the, there's a story. My wife and I go, go to Antigua every year. We'll be going uh, uh, the end of the year for the 20th time. And we have a lot of friends down there. Some of them actually, we know some people who uh, um athletic careers down there too. Uh, one of the uh, legendary great um Cricket players, uh, Richie Richardson, one of the uh, four uh, West Indies great teams of the 80s and 90s uh, who, are, who are knighted by Antigua. Uh, he and his wife are friends of ours. And uh, we have a friend who comes down from Canada who um, uh, he just retired in June uh, from a position at the University of um, um, Alberta in Calgary. 
um, from a position very similar to what, what Dave has done in athletics. And uh, he always kids me. He he tells me um, that I'm the slowest person he's ever seen. And he, he can say it because he played, he was an offensive lineman for 10 years for the Edmonton Eskimos who won five consecutive Grey Cups. I think he played a couple of them with Warren Moon. And every time we're going anywhere, um, he says he, he makes he makes fun and then he apologizes and I say please don't because I really love it when he tells me how slow I am and so uh, we we tossed the football around and simulated him being the center and uh, um, it was a, a hot nerf ball and so we took a video of that last time and it was pretty funny but um, so uh, if you want to go on or I can tell one Antigua story. One Antigua story, and then we'll we might have to book you again at some point later on because I feel like you have so many doing, stories that need to be told. Oh, oh, oh this stuff is great, yeah, and and, and this is good because you you'll have them, so uh, I don't have to repeat them anyway. I can you know we can look at these. So this this one's really good. Uh, this was probably about had to be ten years ago. We went to Antigua in 1994 on a school vacation week, um, and we went and we liked it, but. Um, we hadn't been big travelers, and to go on school vacation week was very expensive, and it uh, more than what we really had, and we'd have to pay for it over a period of time. So, in, in 2006, um, we decided to go back to Antigua, uh, to a different place, and it was this place where we go now, Jolly Beach. And uh, travel agent sent us to a uh, uh, hotel that um, has seen better years. It's it, it's a uh, uh, it's, I won't even get into it. The beach is beautiful, and they're trying to do other things with that. Uh, so when we were there in 06, there were these um, four red roof buildings adjacent to the multi-building resort that we didn't know what they were. And we got a phone call one day that um, they had a bottle of uh, whatever, rum or something they wanted to give us, and they wanted to show us something. Well, those four buildings were a um, timeshare a place called Tranquility Bay. And one of just, there was only, I think at the time, only one or two other time. It's not a big timeshare island. We made a promise we would never buy a timeshare. It just didn't make any sense. And um, they took us to show it, show it to us. And we really liked it. And the weird thing was they weren't trying to sell it to us. We had to ask them. And we ended up buying a week because we said, we like it here. This is going to force us to come back. And the amount we paid for it was not a lot. And I just, in my head, I did the finances. And I said, if we come back here like seven or eight times for one week, in terms of value, we'll, we'll have paid for it. And we bought a um, a, a unit. Um, there's some funny stories, but it has nothing to do. We, we don't have to get into that. But um we bought one of the um, third floor, it was a three-story buildings, four of them, in the, the upstairs Connie units with the deluxe ones that were bigger. And they had these very large wraparound porches that you could actually have a party on and probably have 50 people on them easily. So every Monday night, they had a, man, a manager's cocktail party. And initially, you had to be an owner of a, of, uh, a timeshare to go to it. And then... Later on, it was just anybody staying there because if they rented it out. So it was a Monday night, and they would have vendors in who would show off things and had raffles, and it was just a fun time. 
and uh, anything was complimentary hors d'oeuvres and drinks. And back then on Antigua, a lot of the restaurants, like they used to be in Massachusetts and uh, other parts of the country, would close on Mondays. So I made an announcement that we had a taxi coming at like 7.15 or whatever it was, or 8.15, and we were going to go to this place a few miles down, right on the Caribbean, called Oji's. Um, they have, uh, it's, the food isn't my favorite there, but the location's fantastic, and they have an outdoor um, area with a patio, like on the second level, overlook, right, the, the Caribbean's like 20 feet away. And I said, if anybody wants to go and kind of find a place, OJ's is open and we're paying for the cab anyway. You're welcome to come. We didn't expect anyone to. Four, four younger women are at the taxi. And they, they were between, I think, 27 and 42 years old. And we get in the cab and uh, introduced ourselves. And I said, where are you all from? And three of them were from the Northeast. And one said she's from California. And uh, her name was Alisa, um, oh, something like that. I can't remember. I used to know it. And I said, well, how did you're all friends and you go on these vacations together like maybe once a year. How did you get to California? And she goes, well, after UMass, and I go, stop right there. I said, when did you go to UMass? When did you graduate? And she goes something like 2004. And I said, really? Did you ever go to basketball games in the Mullen Center? And she says, I was an intern who worked there during the games. And I go, really? And I said, well, you know me. And she goes, well, you look a little familiar. Who are you? And I go, no, we'll get to that. And her friends are like, looking like, what is going on here? And I said, relax. I said, why don't we all eat together and we'll get some wine and we'll have, which we ended up doing. And uh, so we talked a little bit more and she's trying to figure out who I am. And it was a cab ride and then the conversation continued at the restaurant after we'd had a couple of glasses of wine. So I said, well, what's your name? And I said, that's not going to do you any good in knowing who I am. And so we're eating and drinking. And I said, I'm going to give you a clue. I said, I'm going to give you a non-verbal clue. And you are immediately going to know who I am. And the other three are like, this is crazy. I said, are you ready for it? And I go, like I'm holding a sign. And she goes, oh, my God, it's a sign. That's awesome. And these other three go, who the hell is the sign? And she says, just a minute. She gets on her phone and she says, can't you tell us? She goes, no, I've got to call my boyfriend in California who was also a UMass alum and tell him that I'm having dinner alongside the Caribbean on my vacation with the side. <laughs> and we were just laughing. It was one of the funniest things. And it, it, it was a rollicking good night. And for like, 
there's a lot of things like this that have happened over the years. And well, the other thing that was pretty amazing, we asked her what she did in California. And Henry was working for Cisco Systems at the time at their East Coast headquarters in Boxborough, like two and a quarter miles from our house. She worked in John Chambers' office. He was the CEO of Cisco Systems. She the world worked, is really so small. And they knew Henry and she knew some, you know, some of the same people and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and um we we still run into situations like this. Uh, but um there have been times it got a little ridiculous because we go on vacations and uh, our daughters are 15 and a half years apart. So when the older when the younger one was say um seven or eight, the other one was already, you know, on her own. And um, Kay was our younger one, and she's just turned 32, and Sam is uh, 47 now. And we'd be going places, and everywhere we went, somebody would give, like, a shout-out to, to, to sign me uh, to UMass or something like that, to the point where I was trying to figure out, how do I tone this down? Because it's getting ridiculous, like... We've done a lot of vacations on Cape Cod, Um, not every year now, but we were going down there. We used to hang around. Um, We always go to Wellfleet, Truro, and uh, um, Provincetown. So we often go to uh, Cahoon Hollow Beach, where the beachcomber is, and you go down the dunes. There was one day where it was just a raw, drizzly day. There were very few people on the beach. And we're walking up a mile on the beach from uh, Cahoon Hollow Beach to Lacantive Hollow Beach, I believe it is. It's about a mile walk. And it, it, you're walking in soft sand. It takes your time. And it's drizzling. And we see, a, like, one couple. Then we see a few people about 100 feet away. And they get to about 50 feet and about 40 feet. And one of them goes, sign in. You know? And we used to run into this stuff. And I'm, and I'm going, oh, no, except I was using SH because they're looking at like, can we go anywhere without running into this stuff? And and I'm telling them it's you know it's about the recognition to it's a great chance to promote the university and promote the program and tell them to come to games and stuff like that, which was really what it was all about. And, and, and you know, from deep down in my heart, you know that, that this was always very important. There were a few people who used to, you know, announce even on social media about um, sign me in the egomaniac and things like that. And uh, my attitude was like, ignore them because they don't know me. And, uh, they, and it's the furthest thing from the truth because um, it was uh, a, a great example of um, promoting the university was um I, I have this in front of me I, I my wife's packed most of the stuff we we are we um this is kind of like the last hurrah for me because uh we're actually we're, we're moving out of massachusetts we're building a home in uh in naples and we'll be moving there this next year i mean i'll still come up to some games but um so my wife's been doing a lot of packing so most of the stuff uh, my, my stuff is packed but i do have um uh, this is a uh 96 final four ball when they make these balls it's the exact ball not the ball that was used on, at the game but they make these for promotional purposes corporate type of purposes 
and uh, there was a um, marketing company, sports marketing company out of the Chicago area I found out about in uh, 95. So I have a 95 and a 96 because I was forever hopeful that we were going to make the uh, final four in 95 when we lost that game to Oklahoma State in big country. And uh, this has been signed by most of the players. So I found out about it and I called the company and um, purchased the ball. I think they were about 80 bucks or something like that. And uh, I was talking to the marketing person who happened to they, you know, be talking to me about the ball. And we were talking about UMass and I told them about the signs. And as soon as I said the signs, this was like in August of the particular year. Guy says to me, Are you the one who made the sign that was on national television against Temple last February of Tyrone Weeks, power forward, and he had flashing red eyes for the power? And I said, You remember that that well? And he started laughing and he said, Never, he says, everybody who saw that around the country says, nobody ever saw anything like that before. And then I'm, and I was thinking, the whole idea of this getting attention of people about the university was really, really cool. And I did about, I did about, I think, probably did about four signs that had flashing red eyes. Uh, the Tiger and Weeks one I gave to um, the son of one of the um, his mentors when he was growing up in, in, in a very very difficult situation in um, Philadelphia, and um, Anthony Anderson, uh, who came from Lyndon, was a very good guy for us. So I um, I did one with a picture of Anthony, and he had flashing red eyes. And uh, I used those little emergency lights that I um, kind of wedged in and made through the back of the phone board, which, um, and they had on off switches and things like that. So uh, in that, so I could turn them on and off. And it said, um, it had the UMass logos. It has his fake picture in his eyes flashing. And it said, AA for Anthony Anderson. AA batteries included. And that's all I said. And it was pretty cool. And I, I did a few others like that. It was a little bit of a project. So uh, um, we had some fun. And um, and I'm going to take this one more step. And then you, you ask me whatever you want after that. I could go on like this. But this is good stuff because I, I it's funny. I, I, I tell these stories and sometimes... They go in they go in circles so much I forget where it even started, and um, I was in um, in England uh, back in the uh, must have been nineteen ninety four or so I won a couple, I won some airfares and took the uh, the daughters and we ended up going to uh, see some relatives and um, I was shopping and I bought this little ceramic plate about this big and and it said something like get a it, the dish was a round t-u-i-t so let's get around to it and i make fun of myself because i can start a story and i, I can totally forget the punchline and i can tell it in 30 seconds 
Right? Sometimes I said, well, let's turn this into a half-hour story. And someone say, and what do you think it's the point? I said, well, when you ask me to, you know, and then just make something up. So do this. So anyway, Anthony Anderson played for, it was, I, I don't know if it was Lynn English or Lynn Classical. And we lived in Lynn for a fair, we, we owned a home in Lynn for uh, nine years before we moved to Harvard. And um, Anthony's uncle coached at Lynn, I think it was called Lynn Tech on Commercial Street uh, in that area in Lynn, uh, off the Lynn Way. And his uncle, his last name was Avery. Often I can't remember his first name. And he had a son, Jordan, he used to bring to the games. A little boy who was really nice, nice kid. And he liked the signs. In fact, uh, one thing I used to do, too, at times, when I knew the signs were going to get national television, either live or I'd talk to the camera people. And by then, they knew who I was. And they'd, they'd uh, video it and then put it on during a timeout. And I used to like to get, like, little kids together and say, would you like to be on national television? And one time when Jordan was there, I must have got 10 little kids. And I stayed with them in the picture because I wanted to keep it organized and like so they could all be seen very well. And they all got down and be up and around the sign. And they said, there, you just got on national television. It was really good. So Anthony's brother, I forget his first name, he um, was recruited by UMass. I don't think he, he didn't come to UMass. And he was playing for Lintec. And Lintec was playing, they had, a, they had like a Christmas high school tournament at um, the new Chelsea High School. So I decided I want to go see him play. And I made a sign for Lintec. And I, there weren't a lot of people in the stands. And I sat and I held up the sign just so, you know, have some fun. And Jordan says to me, aren't you going to get up and walk around to like the Chelsea High School gym with the sign? And I said, I don't think so, but would you like to? So he took the sign and did it. And it was it was real, really cool. So it's all these little precious moments that people um, who have seen everything at UMass and encouraged it to happen it really caused all this other stuff. I, I posted something on, on one of the social media things today, and I think because some people made some comments about the donation uh, in, in a complimentary way. And I thanked everybody. And I said, and I want to thank all the fans because if you think back to the very beginning, if there wasn't the enthusiasm from our fans for what I was doing, you know, like first time, second time. If it was like, sit down or something like that, I might have done it, never done it anymore. To explain, it was that enthusiasm that really created this whole situation that's lasted for 30 years. Well, my that is... My lips are sealed for now. That's <laughs> I, used a, uh... be, I used to be quiet. If you ask my wife, when we first met, I was as quiet as a proverbial church mouse, she had difficulty getting me to talk. But I had a coming out party. Well, anyway, go ahead. Well, I think it's great. And uh, I love hearing these stories. Um, 
we will probably end it there. But of course, people know where they can find you. They'll see you at the Mullen Center. Uh, what's the next game you're getting to? You're going to be there Saturday for for USF? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Saturday, and I encourage people to come out. Um, I'll be a little tied up. Um, some friends are coming. Um, they're going to um, recognize all of this. and um, But I'll still try to – I'll bring some signs and at least go around a couple of times. And I always stop in front of the, the opposition fans because they look at the signs like – what is this? And then the second time they start laughing and I always welcome them to the Mullen Center and enjoy the game and things like that. And it's, and it's pretty good. So I'll probably do that a couple of times. And then, um, anything else? That's all. Thank you no, so I, much. I've, I've chewed you ear off, but that's okay. Well, it's, I feel like I do that for many people a lot of the time. So it's good that someone's doing it to me. Uh, but again, thank you for, this contribution. Thank you for hopping on and we'll see you soon. And this was brought to you by the Massachusetts Collective. Uh, get involved. There are some big events coming up. Check out the Mass Collective on social media. Uh, there are raffles going on. There are uh, pre-game and post-game events happening for men's and women's hoops. So uh, you don't want to miss out. But thank you, Ed. Uh, I'll see you at some point at the Mullen Center soon and we'll talk to you next time. And let's go, UMass. And let's go, UMass.